What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode four of Impactful Conversations. Glad to have you guys back listening. Today's guest is the brilliant Leah Petrovich. Had an awesome conversation with her, um, dealing with uh, child psychology. Um, she strictly focuses in you know, trauma and systems. Got into some things about the system, trauma, uh, a little bit more in depth. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Um, I know I did. I know Trevor did and uh, learned a lot in a very short period of time. So without further ado, enjoy the great and powerful Leah Petrovich. And we are live. So Trevor is back. I am back. And we have a wonderful guest on today, Leah Petrovich. Um She's coming to us from, you're in San Francisco, is that correct? Santa Monica, California. Santa Monica, Santa Monica. So, yeah, it's probably pretty crazy out there, right, with the fires and the sky and everything else. I keep seeing pictures and videos and stuff. Yeah, it's looking um, very apocalyptic. Um, there's, I mean, it varies from day to day. You know, some days it just, it, most of the time it just looks like there's a fog over the city all the time. Um, which is strange because that's, you know, I've been looking up the air quality, which is a new measurement that I didn't even know existed for the, the universe. Um, but it's important to look at because apparently when it's really bad, if you exercise, it's the equivalent of smoking like four packs of cigarettes or something is what people, or something like that, something egregious. Oh no. <laughs> um, so you can't even exercise. It's like, you're, damn, you're killing yourself when in reality, everybody tells you to exercise when the air quality is bad. That's interesting. Right. That's, I never yeah. knew that. It's very strange. And it's weird because when you're outside, you don't feel like that. You know, like you'd think you'd feel if you were smoking four packs of cigarettes, but it doesn't. Right. But it's like the impact on your lungs is the same, which is crazy. So it just something new to get used to, you know? Um, right. Is that something you're checking like every day now, I guess? Like you're yeah, kind of checking. Yeah, it's yeah. New, it's an, I check the weather and I check the AQI is what it's called. So if you're AQI. Curious, you can Google it. It's a new, um, it's a new <laughs> thing I'm having to, to figure out. I don't know. So, so Leah, um, yeah. awesome to have you. You are, um, you are from Bosnia, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, originally. And then can you tell, I want to, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to America and how long you lived in Bosnia and, you know, um, what brought you to, and how, yeah, how did you end up in Santa Monica? I guess that would be my question. Yeah, absolutely. How did you end up in Santa Monica? We can uh, go through that. A little timeline, if you will. Yes, yes. Sure. Um, yeah, so I was born um, in Sarajevo in Bosnia, which at the time, this was in 1990. So at the time, it was still Yugoslavia. Um, and when I was about two, when I was two, um, the Balkan Wars started in Yugoslavia, causing a lot of sort of havoc in the region. Um, and my family moved to Germany, where I lived for five years, um, went to kindergarten and first grade there, um, and then moved to Boston, where we had some, some family friends um, already living, um, and stayed there all through college, um, grew up in, in the Boston area. What school um, did you go to in Boston? 
I went to BU. Okay. Yep. Um, and um, I worked as a, um, I worked, I, st I studied psychology at BU and that was kind of the direction I always knew I wanted to go. So I went um, and accepted a job as a um, project research assistant pro program coordinator um, for a, uh, for a lab that does a lot of work, um, around kind of creating and developing effective treatment interventions for kids, mm. um, which really led me to want to pursue clinical work in psychology. Um, and then I went on to graduate school, which, um, I did for the last five years. At what school again? Tulane. In Tulane. Tulane, yep, in New Orleans. Awesome. Um, and the last sort of piece of my degree is to complete a clinical internship, um, which is um, like I have to complete a certain amount of hours that go towards my licensure and towards my degree to complete um, to complete my degree. So that'll be I'll, that's why I'm in Santa Monica for this year, um, and then I graduate if all goes according to plan. And 2020 doesn't hold anything back. Um, <laughs> graduate in in May. Awesome. Um, yeah. That's go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Trevor. No, I was just gonna go say, ahead. So, Leia, um, so your time that so you spent so it seems like you spent some time in New Orleans about four or five years um, as you know in your work and your studies working with um, children. Can you talk a little bit about your experience working with? Um, young adults and children in, you know, New Orleans school system and the, kind of lay the picture about, you know, how that looks like and, and what you're doing during those times? Sure. Um, I think the, um, you know, the, the work in New Orleans in general and like being in New Orleans has taught me and set so much that I think that alone could be like a podcast series. But um, I think, you know, my, my main area of interest going into graduate school was trauma. Um, and then specifically how systems that children are in, um, which in my case was mostly schools because that's where I worked, but how systems generally can either, um, you know, perpetuate or magnify or exacerbate trauma or sometimes even cause trauma directly or how systems can, you know, promote and support kids um, in having the best possible outcomes, even in the face of trauma. Um, so that's kind of, those are sort of um, my general interests. Um, New Orleans is kind of an interesting, um, you know, for, for better or worse, there's a huge sort of uh, controversy that exists around, I mean, you know, the pro-charter, pro anti-charter, debate is happening on a national scale, but um, New Orleans is kind of an interesting case study for better or worse, again, because um, after Katrina, um, it became almost exclusively a city with only charter schools. Um, and so the public school system really was, it didn't completely disappear, but it was um, largely you know, uh, minimized and charter schools right. take, took over for the most part. Um, and there's a lot of debate as to whether that was a good or bad thing um, because New Orleans had pretty, um, uh, you know, pretty low scores relative to the rest of the country in terms of testing, which that's a whole nother debate, right? Is testing a good measurement of, of, um, of academic ability and all those things. So again, these are all tangential topics that could 
You no, know, we can talk about those though, Leah. That that's what this this is. You, we can definitely get into that. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can definitely dive into anything. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point, right? right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you kind of, I guess, you being down there so long, right? You kind of saw things firsthand. Do you have like an opinion on kind of what your thought process is after seeing it maybe firsthand on uh, the 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 problems, the causes, the effects of of the public schools kind of evaporating after Katrina and then the charter schools kind of taking over. Um, and then, you know, do you have like an opinion on, or what side of the fence that you're on or, or are you on the fence or, you know? Um, well, let me answer that question with a, with a larger, <laughs> um, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that absolutely. Do that because I think it's really hard to say yes or no to that answer. I mean, I could give you a yes or no, but it would be too simplified. I think, right. The, the sort of better question is like what happened to lead us to the point where charter schools even became a thing right mm, um, yep. I really think that charter schools are a symptom of a larger again my interest is in is in systems right and Trevor and I have this conversation a lot because he understands a lot of the like um, the the academic part of being an educator and like um, really being on the on the ground every day, which I, I think, you know, is a really important conversation to have with someone. If I'm like working at a system level and Trevor understands the day-to-day experience, Trevor, any educator, but I'm specifically because we have these conversations a lot, then you start to understand each other's experiences where I think sometimes if you are siloed in your bubble, it's hard to understand the other piece, right? Um, of course, so right. Respect to educators because there are a lot of wonderful educators in charter school systems who work really, really hard to educate children. And so I don't want um, I don't want to to discount that important role, right? Um, but I think thinking about um, what what is wrong in the system that led to charter schools becoming a staple in our education system. And I think that that really comes down to funding and money. Um, and I think the the example that I always give, because I think you know it might be more um, digestible, is if education is is a basic right, as I believe it is, right? Everyone should right. have education. Then um, that shouldn't be something that people are fighting to have any kind of monetary control over. Right. That's just if everyone should have it, it should just be accessible. So I always I, the way I think about charter schools is um, is I, if you liken it to like a nonprofit, very different systems. But just for the sake of conversation, if you right. think of a nonprofit and you think most nonprofits are really trying to they're they're trying to collect money from, um, you know, grant funding organizations to solve a problem. It might be a public health issue. It might be a social issue. It might be a number of things. Um, so let's take, for example, um, obesity as an example. Okay, there's many organizations in the country that operate in many different domains to try and solve a, the public health issue of obesity, right? And so they might take different. They might have different strategies to do that. They might have state-of-the-art research sort of capacities to do some of these things, many different ways to do this. And some of those organizations get their money from the same place, 
So what ends up happening is you have multiple organizations trying to solve the same problem, maybe even from the same funding source, but scattered. And so ultimately, instead of having all of that money in one pot, where one organization can work really well, get all the best expert, the best research, the best, you know, sort of think group to work and solve this issue, you have all that, all those resources, all that, um, all that expertise kind of scattered, right? And working and really competing for money that could achieve a mutual goal, right? Mm. Right. I, so I have a question for you there, Leah, just, or Leah, excuse me, just based upon that, right? And just, I'm just going to go off obesity, like you said, because it's easier to digest in the conversation, right? But so you're saying, you know, if you have, do not believe that, that the competition could lead to better results, right? So in, in, in sense of like pharmaceuticals, right? There's everyone's trying to solve cancer, everyone's trying to solve, you know, different different diseases that are you know, everybody's working on, if all the funds are going into one organization, you know, it does that not make that organization become a stagnant place potentially, right? Well, I guess my follow up question would be, so you're arguing that the competition produces more, is more likely to produce a better outcome? Correct. See, the reason I would disagree with that is because then you turn human a human condition or a human need or a basic right into something that we should be competing to solve rather than something that we should say, we all want this. Like, it's not as if, you know, it's one thing if you're trying to, it's different. And I mean, again, this is now like getting into like capital, whatever, but I- No, that's I, right. We're going to go there. We're going there with it, Leah. This is, this is it's, perfect. It's, I just think it's a different thing entirely if you're if you are competing to like create the best engine because then you you're like trying to you're trying to get money to then further produce your product and and better sell it and market it and all of that stuff. I also don't agree with that, but that's at least that to me is like you're competing in a market to get something. Whereas like you're you're why would you compete in this case? to try and potentially save somebody's life? Why wouldn't you wanna work alongside the best expert possible and collaborate to save somebody's life or to provide someone with the best possible education? You know? So I, I no, I absolutely, I don't, and I don't agree with the, or I don't disagree with the end goal and what you're saying, right? The, the, the where I would challenge that is, let's say you're working for a company and Trevor was working for a company, right? And that you were the CEO of, company a and trevor was ceo of company b the people that are working you have you have a vision right and and your vision and trevor's vision could be different visions and you both have the same goal if you want to help people and because i think or i hope and i do i hope this you know in, in morality that everyone that is competing in those different you know sectors and things are doing it for the greater good even though we do know there is a point of where the money becomes involved right but at the end of the day, you and Trevor both may have a different vision on how to get there. And how do we know that well, if we put all the funding into Trevor's vision and then you have minimal funding or your own funding or whatever the case may be, and it turns out, you know, 15 years later, your vision or your idea was the idea that solved that issue. Whereas all of that funding went into Trevor's company and Trevor's idea. 
right? And maybe the reason you didn't want to work alongside Trevor's company or idea was maybe a morality thing. Maybe it was a disagreement. Maybe you guys just didn't like each other for whatever reason. You guys <laughs> gotten, you guys got, you, maybe Trevor bullied you in high school or you bullied Trevor in high school. So you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just one of those, you know, that's, that's the only where we talk, you know, competition that I think it, it does. It's, it, I think it maybe not in the, the best way necessarily, but I do think it in a lot of instances, it helps to produce things faster and at a better rate. Now the money thing and, and, and talking about that, I think that's like you said, a conversation that we, you know, to, to get into that kind of takes a line and takes the fork in the road that we're already at and to another fork in the road, they take it to another one. But I, you know, that's where I see the competition thing. Um, okay, well, personally, let me, let me, I guess, challenge that further by then asking sure. us to look at it from the perspective of education, right? Which is really the yeah. thing here. Right. So think about what the scenario that you just gave, right? Mine and Trevor's schools being different. So right. Trevor has charter school A, I have charter school B. Mm-hmm. And Trevor is developing one kind of like state of the art curriculum or, you know, um, let's say curriculum and I'm developing our strategy, right? Or what have you, like they're different. And let's say then our students both take the same test scores, right? And right. say it because that's, you know, how everybody gets funding. Everything's like, done now. Yeah. Everything's test scores. So let's say Trevor's program is much more successful at achieving those, those desirable test scores and mine is not right. Then what happens in my opinion, what should happen is it, in education, you're supposed, I'm, I should then be as a, as a person who wants my children in my school to learn to have an education, I would want to be able to say, hey, Trevor, like, let's, let's, let's co- work like, together. Let's, yes. let's work together. Like, right. let's help children. Right? right. But the way that the system is set up is not that way right now. Right yeah. now, it's like we are achieving in this way and so other schools are falling behind because they can't do that so they're mm-hmm. like are essentially students are missing out on and i'm this is this is why i the caveat to this is because there are some charter schools that are doing amazing things just as there are charter schools that are not you right. can say the same thing for public schools there's some public schools that are doing really well and some that are not like that's that's true my right. thing is if if we didn't have, if we didn't have to fight for resources and there was an equitable, not equal, but equitable distribution of resources where some folks might need it in more than others, then we wouldn't have a need for, for these systems that are basically band-aids to fix broken systems. Mm, there are such right. ways that people have gotten creative and thoughtful, sometimes effectively so, I'm not denying that there aren't some instances in which it's effective, sometimes effectively so to solve a problem, but at the expense of maybe other students mm-hmm. or the lack, of, the lack of those then students being able to access the same amount of, of resources or strategy or whatever it is that some schools are doing better, right? Awesome. So right. we're essentially turning schools into a business. Yeah. And that, to me, that to me is problematic because it's not, um, because it's not considering that, 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 that basic right that we talked about, right. It's not that, that gets lost in there. It's just a matter of adults then trying, thinking that they're doing the best thing. 
And no, and I completely understand that. I I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, no, I I am in full agreement there. Like the when you lay it out that way in terms of the education, that makes I mean that makes a lot of sense. Me and Trevor have also talked about that too, and and, you know standardized testing and how you know what the answer is to another form of of that is is, you know that's a, a conversation that to unpack is 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 getting it's not impossible but it's a conversation that we could sit here and all three of us to lay out stuff for four hours <laughs> and not figure it out but but yeah i mean i i agree you know when you turn you know education for young students especially kids that are you know you're trying to maybe you know to, for them to get out of where they're at or or just in general to be educated going forward and be able to make decisions on their own no matter where they're from and what part of the country or where they're at yeah that's a big thing so i would i would wholeheartedly agree with that like you know back to our analogy of of you and trevor's thing i would agree that yeah that that if you if there's not and i didn't and so that's something for me that i did not know that's how that system works that's very interesting and educating so i appreciate that yeah thank you leah um and i mean there's gonna be people who that's my opinion right and that's how i think yeah. I think that that's where the controversy lies is that there are a lot of great educators who are in support of charter schools because they think they're lifting up students that maybe otherwise wouldn't have gotten a great education, right? So that's another topic to have then. Like are charter schools effective with this band-aid method, right? And that's a, that like that's why I'm saying just you some some people have chosen to like tackle their own little bubble and to 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 put all of their you know, proverbial eggs in one basket to help this school in their community. And they've thrown everything they have into that. And they fight for that charter school system because of that reason. Right. Mm. Uh, And I Mm. respect those educators. There's a lot of them in New Orleans, a lot of veteran educators who, who know school, who know how, like, who know the community who are working really hard at those schools. And so again, it, it does. Once you get into the nuance and, and, um, and really understand the controversy, it's a lot, it's a lot harder than saying or anti-charter, you know, it gets complicated for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's tough too, when you're dealing with kids who have, you know, they, they don't have an idea, right? Like you said, it's adults making decisions and, and it's, and it's tough. You know, like you said, you look at it both ways and, and there's always going to be pros and cons. Well, not always, but there's pros and cons, you know, to that situation. Whereas, but the the end result is you start looking at kids as a numbers game, which I think sucks. So that's, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, um, exactly. to, to change topics, uh, not topics a little bit, but Leah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I would like to just talk a little bit about your experience of like, what was it like um, working in New York? We're going to stay on this. What was it like um, to work with, uh, you know, children with trauma um, in these charter schools and, you know, helping them and guiding them, you know, through it in your case studies? Yeah. And before you get to that, Leah, can you give just a, and just for me and for the listeners, kind of when you say trauma, kind of what do you mean by yeah. trauma? Like, what do you That's talk a like? That's really good question, Paul. I'm <laughs> nice. so glad you asked that. Um, oof. Um, it's a really good question. Um, if you got to keep names secret and stuff, we, we totally understand, but yeah, oh, do the yeah, best yeah. you can. No, no, no. It's not that it's just that that's a, that truly is a, again, a whole topic in and of itself. Um, trauma can be individual, right? So like what we kind of, I think what comes to mind for most people when you think about individual trauma. So it's like, um, car accident, sexual assault, um, witnessing, um, a shooting, um, a number of things, right? Like that direct sort of traumatic experience. 
um, kind of individualized, can... right? I'm sorry. Kind of like the individualized trauma of that one person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like it could be like the loss of someone they love. There's just, you know, sort of these like ex individual experiences. Um, there's systemic trauma, which um, unfortunately happens a lot in our systems. Right. So discrimination, um, uh, the justice system is just in and of itself entirely um, a systemic trauma very often for people. Um, education can be a systemic trauma if 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 there's if if people perceive themselves to have um experienced either have been discriminated against have felt like that a system has been oppressive to them um that can be a trauma um you can have collective trauma mm -hmm. um um you know like the holocaust is is a is a big collective mm. trauma um the slavery is a collective trauma slavery collective trauma some of these are also i would say there's overlap with collective and historical trauma right because then there's some of that um intergenerational pieces that come into play um which is also implicated in trauma so it's a complex complex thing for sure um and then there's you know then there is the piece that isn't necessarily what we wouldn't classify as a trauma but there's pervasive stressors that impact people's lives, right? Like poverty, um, neighborhood violence, which isn't, even if you haven't like directly witnessed, you know, violence, you may feel as though you live in an unsafe place. And so that might, that might be a stressor, right? It could also be a trauma, but I'm, you know, these are all examples of how this can, it's complicated. It's very complicated. And of what you, um, and what you've seen just in your short period of time is a lot of that, um, what's the correct term here to use, I guess, but is a lot of it out of their control or out of the kids control is, you know, I mean, I'm assuming it would be right. But just because of, you know, the, the short lifespan they've had, but is a lot of that out of their control. And you're dealing with a lot of things that, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's part of you know, the psychology of it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I, I mean, I, I think children are always at the mercy of their, environment right like mm, i think that right. they um they you know even their actions i think are are um are outcomes of things they've experienced both positive and negative you know and and recently um i'm working on this project where we've been exploring a lot how trauma like we tend to focus a lot on on the sort of negative parts of trauma which are which are very real and 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 can be awful right but then there are some there's this like idea of resilience right which i think is something we don't talk a lot about which is like after after having experienced very challenging often traumatic things people have the ability to 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 really um to really kind of transform how they view things and how they navigate their lives right and this is a lot of this happens, like, this is a lot of what happens in therapy after, because that's what folks say a lot of times, like, even if you're not experiencing the regular, because not everyone gets post-traumatic stress from experiencing a trauma. That's the idea, right? Like, not everyone mm. has the symptoms of post-traumatic stress after they've experienced a trauma. Some people heal because they have community, because they have support, because there's, um, there's, there's those factors that make people resilient and really be able to, to 
take meaning of that experience without then going through all those things that I just mentioned, right? Right. So there, I think not, and this is by no means that I'm saying trauma is a good thing. I just think that um, we tend to, especially with relation, this is particularly has come up because we um, talk, talk a lot about in this project that I'm resilience built from a really collect a really big collective trauma right similarly you can think about the holocaust and how despite how horrific that was the jewish community really came together after the holocaust and built out their community after that in a very resilient fashion um which again isn't to dismiss any of what happens like these things were awful and there are really negative outcomes that have been um that have been documented from those things but um I think there that uh, just to sort of again say how complex trauma is, and it is not it is not straightforward at all. I can see that absolutely can see that for sure. No, that's but I think that gives a, a, a good brief, you know, and just kind of a thirty thousand foot above look at kind of what you're talking about and what you're kind of studying going into. I mean, that's you know that's a like you said, it's a lot of information just in a short period of time. To, for you know, to grasp, but I think it gives a better understanding for me, and I hope for everyone listening too. You know, kind of what you're diving into and delving into. So, mm-hmm. and Trevor, what was your question? Sorry oh, about that. No, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I love listening to this. Um, yeah, and on that note, Paul, like I, that's this is why, and I love this is the next question. I is just, just like as like I've always had this about, and I love that Leah Kavan. Like as a psychologist, like learning and processing these things with children like how how do you yourself individually like handle handle all of that because you know you, you probably work like how many what, what would you say like how many if you could just put like a rough number I know it may not be there but like how many students have you do you think you've interviewed talked through um and, and even this project you're working like how many people do you think you've had to listen to and kind of like gone through their own things with and then how do you deal with that like yourself as a like going into like this psychologist like type of like track um you know i don't think i could give you a number not because it's a big like it's actually not that big of a number because i you know each each year that i was working it was there were like individual clients that I had, I did some group work and then there's like the sort of school system level piece. So it's, it, it would be hard to say. Um, but I, I do think, um, more, more, more than 20 kids. Yeah. Yeah. More yeah, than 20. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> more than yeah. 30 kids. Maybe, maybe, I mean, it's really hard to say okay, because like, again, fine. some of these, Groups. I would I would say maybe maybe between thirty and forty kids. Okay. So that's if, if I had, but that's like a really really rough estimate. I don't know. That's okay, but like you still have thirty or forty kids traumas that you've that you yourself have had to help and experience with. Like, how do you yourself as a psychologist? You know, you, you're helping them, but what do you do, and how do how do you go about those things like within this field? Yeah, um, I think that's a really important question just broadly for people who work um, who work with populations who've been exposed to trauma. And I don't think that that's just therapists. I yes, think that's yeah, often nurses. Sure. I think that's teachers, you know? I mean, the amount of teachers that know about, think about that for a second. I work individually with, with clients. So I 
at, at any given point in time, I have an hour with a client who may have experienced a traumatic event. But now imagine a teacher who spends eight hours a day with students every single day, like sometimes 30 kids yeah. and gets to know them really well. Imagine that and feeling like you, you are responsible for those kids in some way, you know? So I think in, in my opinion, I think um, teachers also um, really, really bear that burden sometimes too. And I think oftentimes it's one they, um, I think that, that I've heard many teachers say that, you know, they, um, they find a sense of purpose in that, that they are helping students and they're, you know, um, but I do think it's something that, that we don't talk about enough is the sort of like personal experience of hearing other people's trauma um, mm. or even just stressors, right? Um, so I, I think, you know, I feel like I have, as a student in a training program, I had a lot of support and it was something we talked about a lot, um, whether it was with my peers or with my supervisors, because you're supervised when you're being trained. Mm. So I feel I had a lot of support and like was padded a lot in my work as I did it. Um, but I think in community mental health, for example, which is um, often what, where we see a lot of trauma, right? That's where, that's where most of the clinicians, psychologists, social workers, whoever they may be, seek clients. And I think that is often a place where um, we see a lot of burnout and secondary traumatic stress, which is what it's called when you have this sort of experience of the trauma that you're helping your, um, the person, your client, right? Um, I, we see that a lot and there isn't a lot of support because the demand is so high to see clients. Um, and then any time in between you're, you know, you're billing, you're doing paperwork, you're making sure that every, you're recording everything, you're doing notes. And so, there's the combination of just like work workload burnout and then having the secondary traumatic stress, which um, can also be re very real. And if not dealt with, can have some of the same impact that direct trauma has. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's, I, I feel at least right now at this point in my career that I haven't, there have certainly been- We cut out. I think I was just saying that I, you know, there's there have definitely been things that I've, experience moments I've had with clients or experiences that have been tough, but I've had the space and time um, and support to process and make meaning of those mm -hmm. experiences. Whereas I think in community mental health or in other places where maybe there isn't that space and time by sh just by just for capacity reasons, you know, um, people really get burnt out and get really impacted by that secondary traumatic stress. Um, and that, and that can, you know, lead people to leave the field. It can, um, can definitely have negative impacts on people. So, um, I do, I, I do think it's a huge issue that isn't talked about enough. I don't know if that answered your question. No, that was perfect. Thank you. I think that, okay. that was great. Yeah. For our listeners. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, going off of that, right. So, so you're in New Orleans, now you've transitioned to Santa Monica and, I guess, I, I mean, I, the question I do have, though, is kind of you said in the beginning that, you know, it's, psychology is something you kind of always wanted to get into. Was there a, a reason behind that, you know, growing up or was it something you just kind of were very interested in in terms of, you know, the psychology of, of people and, and, and everything else? Or 
uh, yeah, I mean, I guess just kind of talk on how, you know, you got into, you know, cause I, I'm very interested in like the human mind and how, and how the mind works and all those things else, but I never once thought about becoming a psychologist or anything <laughs> in that degree. So I'm just curious kind of what, what your, where, where, you know, where that started from, where you got, you know, how you got into it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I feel like some, it was very organic. So I, I don't know if I really remember a specific time. I think the way that I was first exposed is that I had a high school teacher who taught like a psychology elective. Um, and she was just really, it was just a really kind of provocative class. She made us think a lot about, you know, um, things I, I don't, in high school, you're just not really like attuned to. Um, And I remember she had us write letters to ourselves five years from that day um, and like give advice or, you know, things that you wanted yourself to remember in five years. So I wrote that when I was, what, 17 maybe. And she did send it to us and we got it when we were 22. Um, Wow, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, we got to know what you wrote in that letter. Yes, right? exactly. you know, that, that's you know, what's coming next. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't truly, I don't even, I mean, you know, like what is a 17 year old girl, right? You know, I was probably like, <laughs> you probably have a crush on this boy and this boy. Like it was, you know, probably just, I, but it wasn't even necessarily, it wasn't even necessarily what I wrote in it. It was just like to read yourself like writing and I you know I, I always regretted at that point when I was 22 like not having started a journal or something because I think mm. that it is so powerful to learn from yourself in the future or in the past rather um and it was just such a cool experience but by that point I'd already graduated college and already had a psych degree so that wasn't what got me but it was it was a reminder then at that point because I was thinking about applying to graduate school at that point it was a reminder of like how much I loved psychology and that initial sort of interest in it um and in college you know I just had I took classes that I really enjoyed I had great professors and then I got involved in some different research areas that interested me and so it just kind of honestly it wasn't any kind of defining moment it was just um, a lot of great opportunities that I got involved in that then led me to the next one and the next one um and then got me to really narrow in on trauma and resilience and you know how systems can su- support those experiences mm. um so it took you know it took like a decade or something for me to to get there but um but yeah i mean it, it was really kind of an organic journey when you but, mean organic like so when after you graduated like college you, like mm-hmm. wh- where did you why did you choose Tulane? Why not any other place? And also, like, um, what professor in undergrad, like, really, you were like, so, yeah, I hear it's, like, all organic, but there had to be some project or something that someone gave you that you were like, okay, I got to keep going with this for some reason. Um, I really, you know, don't. I don't know that I had that. Um, okay. I, I just, I think that I, I, I knew I always wanted to work with kids. Um, mm. And I think that was definitely something that led me to the like child psychology route. I always really loved kids and I, um, I didn't, you know, I thought about teaching. I thought about special education specifically. 
I thought about, you know, different things. And then again, just, you know, I got an opportunity to understand how, like, how do we develop um, interventions for kids? And that was fascinating to me how, how, you know, we, we learned. Was this in grad school or uh, undergrad? No, this Sorry. was between undergrad and grad school. So oh. I got this job because I knew I wanted to go into psychology, but I didn't know how. I was like, this, mm. you know, do I want to do research? Do I want to go to grad school? Do I want, do I not want any of this? Do I want to go be a social worker? Do I want, I was just kind of trying to understand what, what would, I wanted it to lead me somewhere. Um, mm. And so eventually it did um, because I was learning about, you know, like, there was, it was, these were huge research projects that were understanding how to inform interventions for kids. And so to learn and understand how that happens and how we develop these interventions that are evidence-based, meaning we know they work, like they're, we, we track progress and, and look at outcomes and say, this works for kids. Um, now, since that time in grad school, I feel like I've kind of evolved to this place where I don't think that everything needs to have an outcome, right? Like I think sometimes you can just like be in a room with somebody and um, and and listen and be sort of help them make meaning of whatever they're experiencing, and that doesn't have to come from data driven things, right? Um, that can just be like a human interaction. So I don't think it's all about that, but at the time that was just really interesting to me, um, and and led me to want to pursue and understand it better. Mm. Okay. No, that's like, I think that's really interesting. And like, what kind of what you said at the end, right? I think that's something that, I mean, I know, like, I think about that a lot, right? Where you're, you're in a conversation with someone and you're almost already thinking about what you're going to say before they're done talking, right? Because you think like this conversation needs to go somewhere when in reality, and I know it's not, you know, at the same level necessarily, but when you're having a conversation with somebody, you know, you, I think people and including myself tend to think of a response before whoever they're talking to is even done talking. And I think what you said there is really important, right? Like sometimes it's just that it's just a conversation, you know, it's it just to, to listen and to understand. And, you know, and because what I've learned, even in just, you know, the conversations uh, that me and Trevor have had and I've had with other people is you learn a lot more listening than you do talking. Right. And that's the reason, you know, you got two ears. Yeah. That's what they always say, right. You got two ears and one mouth. So you should do double the <laughs> listening. <laughs> so, so, Thank I mean, you. I think what you said there is, is very, very powerful. Um, and kind of going off of what Trevor said, right. You know, in terms of the, the, the organic from it, right. In terms of growing up, and moving in from, from different places and you were, you, you were in, uh, you said Bosnia, right? Into Germany and then to Boston and then New Orleans and then to Santa Monica. So what kind of, you know, your next, like your next steps, right? Are you, are you looking to continue to travel and do work? Are you wanting to find a place and, and, and do research and, and, and work in one place or are you, kind of looking to go all over kind of what's your you know what do you after you fingers crossed and everything you know you graduate and everything else 2020 has been a wild year but <laughs> everything going on you know kind of what's your 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 next steps what are you looking to do next what's your uh you know what's your you know i'm not gonna ask you for your five-year goal because it's not an interview but you know what are you what are you what are you looking to do next you know kind of what's you know what is leah petrovich's plans for the future um that is that is a 
difficult question. I mean, my, I guess my, the one piece that I know is, um, you know, my, because of all the sort of moving that my family has had to do, um, in their life, it's just my parents, I'm an only child. So it's just my parents here in the States and then the rest of our family is, um, you know, in Bosnia, some in Germany, some in there's, there, everyone's kind of all over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I have always felt that regardless, when I wanted to settle down, I want to be near my parents just because I don't want more, you know, just, I don't want to disconnect further from my family. Um, So the plan after Santa Monica is to move back to Boston. Um, And hopefully, typically what happens after you graduate, if you so choose, is that you get a postdoc, um, which helps you to sort of continue if there's some narrow um, area that, that you're interested in going in, um, then it helps you to further develop that out and kind of further create that niche. Um, and that also helps you, you have to get, um, an additional like chunk of hours, um, to get licensed after, but you can do that either the postdoc route or just by working in a clinical practice and being supervised by a licensed psychologist. So I haven't quite decided which route I'm going to go. I'm going to apply to some postdocs. If I see some that I like, there's some in Boston that do focus on um, trauma. And so I'll, you know, try to find that. But if not, I'm also happy to like do clinical work, which is really what I love um, and get those hours and then get licensed. So I guess the the short answer is move to Boston Find someone to employ me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you won't have a problem with that. You're you, you're very on top of your your stuff. Yeah. So. Plus you. Thank you, Paul, for the vote of confidence. We'll see. We'll see what 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 happens. But you um, need a re- recommendation letter. I'll write you one. No problem. <laughs> I got you. I'll send you a copy of this uh, podcast episode. That's right. That's right. right. This is my essay for this job. Hey, not a, it wouldn't be a bad essay. I mean, I, I think it's really good. It wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I, I've listening to it is, 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 I've learned so much, um, just about, you know, charter schools and trauma and how that works. And hopefully our, our 10 to 15 listeners have been able to learn a little bit much about, you know, that the inner workings of, of that, um, going forward as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, absolutely. And so I have one last question for you and it's kind of the question for, uh, me and Trevor's podcast, you know, impactful conversations, right? So, the question is, is if he or she is out there listening, what would this Leia Petrovich say to a younger or per, or other Leia Petrovich that is looking to maybe get into something that you're doing or what advice would you give to that person? Um, I, I think the advice I would give is that I think like in all things, there is a balance. Um, I think, you know, I don't fully believe in the message, like just follow your passion and everything else will fall into place. Because I think that that discounts um, hard work that people do to, to achieve some things, you know? Um, So I think there is a balance of like work towards what you want and like really work for it and decide what that thing is. Don't just like wait for it to fall into your lap. Um, but then also make sure that it's something that you love and that you can see yourself doing, not something that seems, um, like you should do it or that it's, you know, what's expected of you. Like, I think it should be something that 
um, is going to be worth your while. Um, hmm. But making sure to, you know, to work for it. Mm. And my question would be to you, and since it's impactful conversations, we, we, every time we have someone on, you know, we talk about, you know, our parents and I know it's been really, really tough for you, but what, who are, okay. So you can mention your parents, but who do you just thinking back, um, who can, and, and we know, I definitely understand there's so many people you can name so many, but what is like the one, um, impactful conversation, not yeah, conversation or, I know you, you said you, you may not have it, but like that turned. What's your inspiration? Yeah, it's, yeah, what, yeah what is, there you go. What is your inspiration? Um, to, to That's why we're work. a team, Trevor. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> for what I do now or for for who I am as a person? Both. 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 Okay. Both. Oof. Um, huh. Um, I... I guess I would say, I don't know. I think I, it, I know that you want me to say one person, but it's really hard for me. All right, go, to, go on. We, we have a couple more minutes. Can, my, yeah. No, no. As a, this is a unit of a group as I just was going to say my parents, because I think, um, my parents have been through a ton in their life. And I just think like, I see them today and, you know, I just talked to them on Sunday and they were at a vineyard in the Cape Cod sitting outside watching the sunset. And I was, I got off the phone with them and I just thought to myself how, how um, grateful I am that I have models for people for in my parents of, of resilience and of perseverance of just being able to experience difficult things in life and still um again make meaning of them in a way that's gonna then help you navigate and move forward um and that's been kind of their i mean whether they intended to message that or not i don't know but it's definitely something that i have carried with me and i think that's where i think that ties into paul's question too is just that i don't think you know where i am today just came out of a like passion or just that I worked hard I think it truly was a combination because that's what I've been modeled from my parents you know it's like it's hard you have to work for it um but you should believe in what you're doing and that will help you get through it you know so I think I would say I would say that unit of my parents mm, awesome wow yeah. well Leah that was awesome I learned so I can't wait to have you back on and to dive more into everything because <laughs> You have taught me a lot in just a short period of time. So I can only imagine, you know, if you're going forward how much. And I know I really appreciate it. I know Trevor appreciates yes, it. I know you, our listeners you. are going to really appreciate it. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Um, I know, you know everybody's – of course, of course. So, uh, yeah, uh, look forward to having you back on. Um, and if there's – you know, is there – do you have any – uh, anything you want to shout out or social media or anything else that people could follow you on if they wanted to, or reach out to you in any way, if they had any questions for you or anything like that. Um, I, I mean, you um, could say no, you could say no. The answer could be no, if you wanted to be, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I'm going to decline just because that's fine. That is that's perfectly okay. fine. That's okay. That is perfectly fine. <laughs> perfectly fine. So, all right, well, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, uh, 
thank you everyone both. for listening and thank you Leia yes uh, thank you thank you so much Leia we appreciate you coming no up when you become a doctor I hope you'll you know be helping the, the many many kids with traumas and, and help them through those the clinical work through that so thank you yeah alright All right, guys. guys thank you everyone alright peace out peace out Thank <laughs> you.